Amazon's Rings of Power, the Lord of the Rings series that has cost over a billion dollars to make, is finally here. Episodes one and two have dropped, and that's a full quarter of the entire first season since we're getting eight episodes. And I watched them with my husband last night, and I'm cautiously optimistic in ways that I did not expect to be from this series. And I think there's a lot to talk about here. So let's do that today on this episode of Project Shadow. Hello, everyone. How are you doing today? My name is Charlie. I'm a non-binary sci-fi fantasy writer, and I can't say how thrilled I am by The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, and the first two episodes that are out. This show has been a bit of a concern for me for a couple reasons. Now, don't worry, I will let you know before I go into spoilers, and I will be going into spoilers for these two episodes. But first, I just want to talk in broad strokes. This show could have been a train wreck. And I don't mean that in that I don't trust the showrunners or that I don't think that the source material is good I I love The Lord of the Rings. I love The Hobbit. I love The Silmarillion, The Lost Tales, all of it. I'm a huge fan of Tolkien. The problem is, this production, because of weird rights issues, is uh, problematic at best. You see, they weren't granted rights to The Silmarillion. So, This story, which takes place in the Second Age of Arda, so after the war with Morgoth, but before the events of the Lord of the Rings, which that's the Third Age, that's the end of the Third Age. And these are the events leading up to that climactic battle that you see in the first few minutes of the Lord of the Rings movies by Peter Jackson. They were not given rights to what little there is in the Silmarillion about the Second Age. In fact, much to my concern, they have only been granted rights to the appendices for The Hobbit that talk about the Second Age. Now, there's not a lot written about the Second Age in general. The Silmarillion itself spends most of its time talking about the First Age and the battle with Morgoth and what led to the rise of Sauron. And it just kind of goes through very quickly the events that take us from Sauron's rise, the creation of the rings, and then we're just kind of dropped into the Third Age. And given that they only have access to the appendices, 
there are some things that I don't expect to see in this series that kind of breaks my heart. I don't think we're going to see the fall of Numenor, though I would love it if we did. That is one of my favorite stories in all of the Lord of the Rings and all of Tolkien's work. I do hope that we get to see Sauron the Trickster. Sauron is one of my favorite Dark Lords in the history of fantasy, and a lot of that comes from the fact that he is just a silver-tongued devil. He's able to talk his way out of so many problems, and create so many more problems based on his ability to talk his way through. But given all of these constraints that have been put onto the series... Somehow, somehow, they found a way to make a powerful and compelling show. It is not perfect unless we grade it on a curve, and that curve would be television fantasy. And on that scale, this may be one of the best fantasy series ever made for television. But before we get into that, I'm going to have to unpack that a little bit before we get into spoilers. Look, I know it's a lot to say that this is one of the best fantasy shows, having only seen two episodes of it. But there's something to me that is very special about fantasy, and I I don't really consider a lot of shows that we have gotten over the years to be fantasy, really. See, fantasy to me has elements of magic and mystery to it, and I've had a really hard time classifying in my head shows like Game of Thrones, for example, because that show, yeah, had dragons, may have had a little bit of magic, but it was more like, what if magic were added to a real setting. And that to me is not not really fantasy. And I know a lot of people are going to be mad at me for saying that and they're going to be calling me a gatekeeper and whatnot, but it didn't scratch my fantasy itch. I'll just say it that way. There's a certain flavor profile I want when I want a fantasy series. And Game of Thrones just didn't do that. It's like when you order something and expect chocolate and you get strawberry. It's not bad. It's just not what you ordered. (laughs) This show, on the other hand, is introducing me to a bunch of characters, some of whom I know and some of whom I know well. And it's also introducing me to a bunch of new characters that I can't wait to find out more about. So the characters that I know are characters like Galadriel, Elrond, uh, some mm, <sighs> Kilabor. And I'm really excited to see where their stories are going to go. We were talking about this last night, and there are certain aspects of Galadriel's story, for example, that we know from the Second Age. We actually know her story from the time she was born, all the way through to the end of The Lord of the Rings. And there are parts of it that are very vague. And this show gets to dance in those vagaries in a way that is extremely powerful. 
And Mor- Morfid Clark, and I know I'm probably terribly mispronouncing your name, and I apologize for that, but my Welsh is really not good. Does such a good job playing Galadriel. I really enjoy her portrayal of Galadriel in here. But the way that they're able to play with the vagaries of her story really gives me hope that this show can do something that is very difficult to do, especially for a classic series like Tolkien's. And that's give me stories that I've never read, that I've never seen before. And yeah, of course, we're going to get that with some of the Hobbit characters. I I really enjoy Nori and Poppy. I think that they are a fun mix of Merry and Pippin and Sam and Frodo, but are in and of themselves unique characters. I think Lenny Henry's Sando is a very interesting character. He's the kind of character that I rather enjoy seeing in this kind of fiction. I am concerned where they're going to go with Erendir, mainly because, uh, let's just say, adaptations of Tolkien have a mixed to poor track record of including love triangles into their stories. And so hopefully, hopefully, his story will be more than that. I'm hoping. I'm really hoping. But these characters, the ones that we know and the ones that we don't, feel realized and relatable in a way that I kind of wish House of the Dragons characters were. And I don't want to compare those two shows that much, but it's the same kind of vagaries that are getting to be filled in by the series by both of these shows, and that's, to me, where we can compare them. And I I still, two episodes in, to House of the Dragon have not connected to any of those characters. Whereas I've already connected to a lot of the characters, even the new characters from the Rings of Power. And that's a good thing. Arda is such a wonderful setting to fall into. And this show has been doing a wonderful job with it. This sheer craftsmanship, as Jesse Gender kept referring to it as, of everything in this series has just been stunning. The armor is beautiful. The clothing is beautiful. The sets are just gorgeous. But even more than that, this show has done some things that I feel have been lacking in fantasy, especially Tolkien fantasy for a long time. The orcs are terrifying. Are they the scariest things I've ever seen? No. Are are they borderlining into horror movie territory with them? A little bit. But they're frightening. And I think at this point I have to go into spoilers. Because there's one thing I really need to talk about to explain why I love how they're doing setting in here that requires spoilers. So if you've not yet seen the Rings of Power, and you want to go into it without any spoilers, now's the time to check out. Go watch it, come back, and we'll talk further. So the setup for the reveal of the orcs is so well done. 
we see Galadriel traipsing about trying to find them, trying to find Sauron. And so we get this sense that they are a threat, that they are a menace. We get these flashes at the very beginning when we see the end of the First Age and the, f- and the fight to defeat Morgoth. And in there we get to see dragons and all this other beautiful, beautifully realized visual media. But it's not until we get to the human and elf story that with Vilma and um, Erendir that we get to the orcs and we start hearing stories about poisoned grass that something's happened and the fields are dying the grazing fields are dying and Vilma who is a uh, healer I think it was Vilma Maybe wrong about the character names. I'm still learning them. Anyway, the healer, the human healer, she is brought a cow that has gotten sick after grazing in these fields. And Aaron Deer goes to milk the cow and this black bile comes out. And that in and of itself is just horrifying to see. And you start getting this feeling like something is really wrong. Something has gone terribly wrong in the world. And so they go to check out the village that's closest to where this cow had been grazing. And it's empty. Everyone is gone. There are random fires burning here and there. There are claw marks on the buildings, on the walls. There's an eerie spookiness about it. And then they find the tunnel. Erendir goes down into the tunnel to go find out what's going on. She runs back to warn the village. Earlier in the episode, her son starts complaining about the mice that have been scratching under the floorboards. And there we find... Oh, they weren't mice. They were the orcs. And then when that orc comes crawling out, wearing a horse's skull as a helmet the way the orc moved the unnatural emaciated nature of its body the twisted features on its face orcs were scary again and they need to be and the fact that the show was able to pull that scene off tells me so much about what this show can be. Because I've seen orcs. I've seen orcs a thousand times. This orc sent chills through me. It scared me on a deep, visceral level. And I can't wait to see what else they do with this world. It's going to be really interesting to see how they thread the needle that they have to thread to make this show happen. They've already made mention to a lot of things that I was not sure whether or not I would hear the show talk about. Things from the first age, things from the end of the first age, things from the life and history of Galadriel prior to this. And it's going to be a tricksy thing for them to kind of thread 
this needle where they have to stay within the confines of what they have rights to while paying homage to the wider world. And so far, they've been doing a really good job with that. Everything from seeing the water worm, which was just a phenomenal scene, series of scenes, actually, that just oh, hit all of my fears. I've already talked about the orc and how they're dealing with the orcs and the way they're dealing with the elves. One of the few bits of criticism I have is actually getting to see the elves go off to Valinor. Though I don't think they ever say Valinor in the show, but they head out west to the Undying Lands. And it, it was beautiful. Don't get me wrong. It was beautiful, but it didn't... I don't know. It didn't hit home for me as strongly as it should have. This is one of those scenes, though, where they're playing with the lore in a way that is powerful. It was unexpected, even though I knew what was going to happen. I knew Galadriel was given the offer to return to the Undying Lands, to return to Valinor, and that she said no. And that's really all that we have in the lore, is that she was given the right to return to Valinor, and that she said no. And to see her on the ship, struggling between going home to the Undying Lands and looking at that dagger and remembering the words of her brother that sometimes you have to touch the darkness to know where the light is. And to see her jump off of the ship in the middle of the Sundering Sea, it was a powerful scene. It was beautifully done. It was terrifying because I'm sitting back thinking how is she going to get back because she's so far out at this point how how is she going to get back and I, I do I find it very interesting how they're going to deal with that and I can't wait to see more of that part of the story but it was so moving and wonderful because while I knew what was going to happen because I had read the stories that this is based on or inspired by, I didn't know exactly how. There are so many ways you could have Galadriel not go back. The Meteor Man, as a lot of people have started referring to him, I, I don't know who that is. And I don't think it's Sauron. It could be Sauron. A lot of people online seem to be thinking it's Sauron. Sauron, at this point in the story, should... I'm not sure if Numenor has fallen yet. I'm assuming Numenor has fallen because there's been no reference to Numenor. In fact, I don't think there's been a single reference to the Duodine at all. But he, I believe he should still be imprisoned in Numenor at this time. And I don't think it's Gandalf or any of the wizards because they don't arrive on the scene until later in the basic lore. Now, this could be a wizard we've never heard of before. This could be a complete original character. And if so, I'm fine with that. I think that that would be really interesting to see a wizard from before Saruman and Gandalf. I think that could be a really interesting story element for them to play with, giving them an original character that they can do whatever they want to with. But I, I don't know who that is, and I like not knowing. 
I like not knowing who the mysterious stranger is that's running around with Galadriel. I like not knowing who the Corsairs are. There's so many elements of the story that's playing outside the lore where it can. This is where I think the Hobbit stories are really interesting because we don't know much about the Hobbits from this point in time. In fact, they're not even called Halflings or Hobbits yet. They're called Harfoot. And there's so much that they can do there because it's outside the scope of what we know. And that's where prequel series do their best is when they know what they can play with and they play there. It is astounding how well the show has been put together in all of its parts and all of its components. And I I know a lot of that has to do with money. And that's one of the places where the show could have been ruined is by the sheer influx of money. The Tolkien estate required them to spend so much money in the making of this series. And in fact, I do believe this season of The Rings of Power cost more money to make than all three Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings films. And in total, it's going to be an hour shorter than that. So, (laughs) just, just some context there for how much this series is costing to make. But you can feel that they actually spent the money wisely. I've already talked about the costumes. The actors really feel appropriate for their characters. Killer Brimbor, for example, is a character that has been portrayed in a few of the games. We haven't really seen Killer Brimbor in anything live action or animated, so there aren't a lot of places to compare his characterization to. But the they the actor that they got to play him really feels like he has the gravitas that um, Celebrimbor should have. There's something about the way Charles Edwards holds himself when he plays Celebrimbor that feels appropriate to this character and what they will do and what will happen to them. And I can say that with a lot of the characters that I've seen so far from the one again the ones that we know to the ones that we don't to the newer characters and you can see this in how they're doing the craft of acting the creature design for the show has been astounding the effects have been breathtaking it really feels like and looks like a labor of love and that moves me more than anything else. It d- nothing in this series feels perfunctory. And I can't say that about a lot of sci- sci-fi or fantasy shows, especially fantasy shows. I, I rather enjoyed the uh, Wheel of Time series. I-, I think it had problems. It definitely had problems. But there were parts of it that felt that they just didn't put in the energy, effort, or money, or time to get them to feel right. The the battle at the end, for example, just it felt like they ran out of time and money and weren't able to actually make it look and feel the way it should look and feel. 
And I feel that way about House of the Dragon as well. It, it feels very perfunctory. It's like, I guess we need to see a dragon now. Oh, look, there's a dragon. It, it has very little in the realm of surprise. This show has the, those elements of surprise where you can see that they they thought about what they were doing. They thought about how things should look, how things should feel. And the way the music is playing with the acting, which is playing with the setting, which is playing with the visuals, which is playing with the effects, how all of that kind of fits together in this grand puzzle piece that makes this show, well, again, not perfect. And I don't think we should ever make the perfect the enemy of the good, because I don't know what a perfect fantasy show would look like. I will say that this show is probably closest to that. Because when you need to feel awe and wonder, the visuals, the music, and the acting all come together in a beautiful symphony to get you there. We need to feel horror, fear, terror. Again, they come together to strike just the right notes to get you there. And that's given me a lot of hope for the rest of the season and the rest of the series. This show is demonstrating how much it wants to be good. And it doesn't feel performative. It feels like they're trying to bring Tolkien to life. I've seen some people complain about how the dialogue feels stilted. And that brings me to my closing thoughts. <sighs> that Those are the moments where, in a sad way, this show feels more Tolkien to me. Tol- Tolkien was a very imaginative writer and created an amazing world in Arda. But... His dialogue left so many things, so many things to be desired. And some of the more stilted moments in dialogue feel most (laughs) Tolkien-like. And I don't mean that as an insult, but it, it, it reminds me that this is Tolkien and not a George R. R. Martin or anybody else who writes fantasy this isn't Ursula K. Le Guin. This isn't any of any of the other great masters of fantasy. Because it has that kind of quality that I've come to expect from Tolkien's work. And yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. Maybe they should have softened the, those Tolkien edges and maybe some people wish that they had. But in a lot of ways, that's one of the things that really makes me feel like this show is much more Tolkien than it probably actually is. Yeah. Also, I haven't talked about Elrod and Doran because this entire episode would have just been me gushing over Elrond and Doran, but their relationship, I feel like, is probably going to be one of the things that makes at least the season of the show, if not more, 
I heard you want a spin-off that's just the Madcap Adventures of Alron and Doran. I went to see their earlier adventures together. I, I just they they are beautiful and wonderful. I loved seeing Khazadum in its full glory and splendor. <sighs> I could go talking about this show forever, and I, I probably will continue to talk about it. Either here or on the live streams or in videos over on YouTube because I just I really did enjoy it a lot it did the one thing to me that fantasy should do and that's take me out of the ordinary world this is one of my uh, pet peeves with the works of like George R. R. Martin and even the, some of the Jim Butcher fantasy s- stories is while I am not opposed to having a certain level of realism in my fantasy, fantasy to me is the genre that I go to when I want to go to somewhere new, somewhere different, somewhere amazingly different, strange, bizarre, weird even. And if it feels too much like our world, too much, too much of the ordinary then it doesn't scratch that itch for me. It doesn't get me to the place that I want to go. And this show, so far at least, in these first two episodes, has taken me to Arda, and it feels like Arda. It feels like the world I fell in love with when I first read the books when I was just a child that I fell in love with all over again when Peter Jackson took us there in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And I can't wait to see where they go from here. If you haven't watched it yet and you listened through all of this, I tried to be very measured in my spoilers because I really, really want everyone to see this show because I want more fantasy like this. I want a Wizard of Earthsea like this. I want them to take lessons from this show and put them into the Wheel of Time series. I want a Dragonlance series done with this much care and concern. So much. So much that I want. What did you think? Let me know. I would love to hear from you. You can hit me up on social media. I am C. Dorset everywhere. And just... Let me know what more you want me to talk about, because there's a lot that I could talk about. With this being a premiere, I really wanted to focus in on the basics. But yeah, let me know. Until next time, don't forget to have the fun. Bye.